pray, and then we'll read the word of the Lord. Father, we come today to worship in spirit and in truth. Father, we come today knowing that you have given us ears to hear. Father, you have given us eyes to see. You, Father, have removed the veil for all of us who have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, do we come today with grateful hearts for just that. Father, as we look at what our brother Paul lived, pinned down for us this day, and bore in his flesh, may we be comforted. Father, may we be counseled. And Father, may we embrace it with the same love that you embrace us. Help us to be more. Help us to walk worthy. Help us to have eyes to see to your glory and to your praise. In Christ's name, amen. Chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 6. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is uh, an amazing text Because I I think what happens to us at times is we have forgotten the Apostle Paul's life to date of the writing of this. Um, I deal with people um, on a regular basis who are going through trials and tribulations, heartache, suffering, pain, agony. And what I have learned is a lot of the times it's self-inflicted. Okay, you, if you wish to rebel against God, then understand you get the consequences. It's really that simple. Okay, I, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or anything like that. But when I look at the Apostle Paul's life, his passion was to do the things of God. And yet he was stoned, shipwrecked, whipped, beaten, imprisoned. Uh, threatened in the country, threatened in the city. His countrymen wanted him dead. The church did not trust him. And all he was doing was the things of God. Plus his daily concerns for the church. I mean, he's writing this church here in Corinth. uh, And these people are breaking his heart. I mean, you read the first letter. 
And it is heartbreaking. And yet he was in this church, had gone back sort of in a surprise visit. And somebody in the congregation accused him, stood up and accused him of selling a gospel for sexual favors. And you know what he said? You know what broke his heart? No one defended him. No one defended him. And yet his love for these people was so to to encourage them. And when you get into this, he starts talking. Remember, we started looking at it in chapter 3, verse 6 through 18. We're looking at the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Testament and the New Testament. And there was a great glory in the Old Testament. But it is dull compared to the glory of the New Testament. The New Testament glory is so massive, you can't even see the Old Testament. Because what was once veiled is now completely revealed to all who turn to the person of Jesus. Now then, I want to give you a couple of things. I want you to understand this. Okay, when we speak of faith, you are saved by grace through faith. Okay, when you talk about faith, when you say the word faith, I am a person of faith. I've run into some of my old running partners and they said, well, I heard you're a man of faith. Okay, and I always look at them. I say, I'm 55 years old. I have never in my 55 years met anybody who's not a person of faith. Okay, everybody I know has faith. Never met anybody who has faith. But here's the difference. Your faith is what you are devoted to. Okay? So what I used to put my devotion to has changed to what I put my devotion to now. All right? So in that case, yes, I am a person of a different faith. My devotion is different now. There is one thing that is I am absolutely devoted to. One thing. Okay? And I'm not going to sway from it. I've had a lot of people try. Okay, and it drives them nuts. No, it ain't my kids. It isn't my job. It isn't my wife. It isn't my position in society. My devotion is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. And all the rest of it is I'm not going to worry about. Why? If I seek his kingdom and his righteousness, I don't have to worry about anything else. All right. The other thing we need to pay attention to is when we see glory, we see the word glory. Okay, understand that glory in the Bible is the manifestation. All of a sudden now I see the nature and the character of who is God. It is now displayed. Right? These two things I am going to hammer until I'm out of this text. You need to know that your faith has a devotion to it. You also need that the manifestation of glory is seeing the person of God. Remember, Moses would go up on Mount Sinai and he would see the glory of God, the grace and mercy of God as he walked past him after he'd hit him in the cleft of the rock. Show me your glory. Show me your nature. And then Moses would come down shining. Shekinah glory all over him. But the difference of the old covenant was it would fade. 
The new covenant is now the manifestation of that glory in the person of Jesus Christ. And as I behold in a mirror, verse 18, I behold the glory of the Lord. The mirror is the word of God. As I look at the Bible, if you are saved this day, you do not have to have a teacher to do this. You have the author living in you. As you look at the Bible, you will see the manifestation of God, his nature, his character, his attributes in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is so powerful. And yet it is clear, verse 18 says, I behold in a mirror. It's intimate. I can look right at it. Right there it is. Right there it is. And as I look at this, as I gaze intently, remember the sons of Israel could not gaze intently. At Moses. But now I can gaze intently at it. And as I gaze intently at it, that looking, that intent gazing literally transforms me or you from one level of glory to the next. Okay, what is glory? The manifestation of the nature and the character of God. As I look intently into the face of Jesus Christ in the holy book. It literally transforms me into the nature and the character of God. Now, you know why Pastor Paul says I'm a one book man. I don't know anything else can do that. I don't. I have no idea anything else that can do that. See, the Old Testament saints, they knew about God. Okay, please understand. I don't want you to think that they didn't know about God. Remember, they had the little Mount Sinai thing. You can look at God in their history. They knew he was a just God. They knew that he was a God who provided. Remember Moses and getting water out of the rock and the manna? And even when they bellyached about eating manna, he gave them quail. They knew that God provided to the person of Moses. You look at Noah and all you see is grace. All you see is grace. Look at David. You see mercy and loving kindness. They knew these. They knew all of these. They could see uh, things about God. Okay. Okay. But it was pieces. It was glimpses. It was veiled. It was shadows. It was types. It was analogies. It was sort of mysterious. And yet when Christ came, then God was manifest. And he was visible to all men. Remember what he says? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So... When I think about the group that is just here today, anybody here having some difficulties? When the difficulties of life defeat us, then we know we don't understand who Christ is. And we are not looking into the face of Jesus. I really wish I could say, you know, how how do I make that statement and not offend anybody? I can't. If this world is whipping you, 
Guess what you're looking at? You're looking at the world. And let me tell you something. All it's going to bring you is heartache and sorrow. And the longer you look at it, the more heartache and sorrow you get. But when I look at the face of Jesus, I don't see it no more. The better you know Christ Jesus, the better you know God. And if you know God, you will not be troubled by the things of this life. Okay. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, because of this amazing glory of the new covenant that I can gaze intently at, therefore, I am strengthened. I look at the face of Jesus. I have a look that strengthens. Okay. I have a ministry that I will not lose heart in. Paul, and in spite of all that's going on in Paul's life, I think about Paul's life at the writing of this letter, and it had to be crushing. I mean, he was successful in Thessalonica. They take Jason hostage and say, if you do not leave town, we're killing him. So he goes 50 miles to the west to Berea and he begins teaching them the Bible and they begin searching the scriptures to see that it is true. And the Thessalonian Jews come and they run him out of Berea. And then he has to go down to Athens. He gets down there. They mock him. He goes from Athens to Corinthians. I mean, everywhere he goes, people are just making fun of him. Or they want him dead. Woohoo! I want to be in ministry. And yet, all that's going on in the apostle's life, he does not lose heart. How easy. I'm going to ask you a very personal question. How easy today do you lose heart? Let me take you back a little bit. Verse 6, chapter 3. Who has made us adequate as servants of what? You know what servants is, right? Ministers. Servants. Of what? And you lose heart when you don't have a devotion to the new covenant. You don't have a devotion to the things when Jesus says, it is really close to being finished. No, it is finished. It is finished. You don't bring anything to the table. You're not a noble vessel that God says, hey, I think going down there looks pretty good. It speaks well, walks well. Smells good. Paul makes this personal here. We have this ministry. We. Even suffering as much as Paul. But we all will have battles. We do not lose heart. This word, this here you see. At the end of verse 1. We do not lose heart. Okay, see, he's using we in the ministry, we who are in the ministry, because God has made us adequate, we do not lose heart. 
Okay? The word lose heart here in the original language is really amazing. Are you ready for this? It means to be brought to a place of cowardice. Sounds better when you say that. Do not lose heart. Other than you're a big chicken. It has to do with secular Greek to speak of abandon oneself to cowardly surrender. In other words, it's a very strong verb. Very strong verb. Paul is telling us, we who are in the ministry haven't surrendered. We haven't surrendered. Why? Therefore, it's based on the glory of the new covenant. Because of the glory of the new covenant, I will not surrender. Ah, I can't be brought to a place of surrender. People have asked me, do you believe Christians will go through the great tribulation? And I said, no. And they said, well, how do you, how are you so convinced of that? I said, well, I know I'm not. Now, if you want to, knock yourself out. But I'm not. Well, how can you be that sure? Because they will kill people for proclaiming the gospel, and I refuse to shut up. I ain't going to. Okay? Now, if you have been abandoned to cowardly surrender, perhaps you shall. But I have the privilege of looking to the face of Jesus. I ain't afraid. Remember Peter? Got Jesus standing right there by him. They're getting ready to arrest him. He pulls out his little Swiss army knife. Why? Well, Jesus is right there. If they kill me, he can raise me from the dead. I've seen it. Okay? See, Peter, and then when you separate Peter from the presence of the Lord, he's like, I don't know him. I've never seen him. Isn't it true? How about you? When you've been in the book, looking intently at the face of Jesus, bring them on. I don't even need a Swiss Army knife. But when you neglect that time looking in the face of Jesus, I think the theological term is roadkill. It all runs over you. We have received this glorious ministry, brothers and sisters. I want you to understand, this is not a pastoral letter. This is to the brothers and sisters in the church at Corinth. This is the brothers and sisters that are gathered here right now. We have received a ministry. It's a glorious ministry. And since we understand the glory of the new covenant, we are not cowards. Why? Look what he says. As we received mercy, I will not be a coward. I will not be abandoned to cowardly surrender. Why? Because I've received mercy. I received this ministry. How can I lose heart when you are ministering the new covenant? No matter what the trouble is, no matter what the disappointment. Anybody had disappointment in ministry? Have you ever been disappointed serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Only when I'm awake. (laughs) No matter what the problem, no matter what the pain, no matter what the heartache, 
when you consider the glory of this new covenant, how could you ever lose heart? When you realize the reality of the new covenant truth, that the old covenant was absolutely fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, and the veil of the temple was ripped so that all who would believe now can go straight to God by the person of Jesus Christ. That veil lifting, that message of your sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. The message of God's righteousness, the beauty of being reconciled to a holy, perfect God who only spoke existence into being. A glory that bright. How could you lose heart? We've received this ministry. We've been made adequate in this ministry by God because we've received his mercy. And by doing that, can't lose heart. Linsky put it this way. The task is too noble and the cause is too great to abandon, to surrender. Cowardice. As long as we keep our eyes upon Jesus. Then you will be strengthened. Listen, this is amazing because it's it's not an issue of pride. I've heard people that they won't say it to my face. That's funny, but they won't say it to my face. He seems arrogant at the pulpit. He just seems like he just knows what he's saying. Well, Lord, let's hope so. Because I have sat in pulpits where I'm thinking, that man ain't convinced. And if he ain't convinced, he's... We have this ministry because we have received God's unwavering mercy. Remember verse 6? We are adequate as servants. Why? Our adequacy is from God. It's not something earned. It's not something that, well, I am now qualified because I have my masters of divinity. Or I am now qualified because I went to, or I am. No. You have received mercy. Because you have received mercy, you are now adequate. But you have to look at the face of Christ. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Early in my ministry, uh, within the first few years, I thought, why in the world would anybody do this? I can't even begin to share with you the reams of heartache that I've had as a pastor over and over and unrelenting. It never quits. And yet, when I start looking around at the people, it's just like, oh, my God, we're all going to hell. <laughs> and then you back away from it. And you look at the face of Christ and say, what makes you think you're going to be good at this? Oh, you're right. What reward were you as expecting? They killed me. I was like, well, they want (laughs) to. They just ain't got it there yet. It's still illegal in this country. God does not look for those who are noble. He's not looking to, well, I believe that that one there is worthy. 
It's never an issue of pride. Remember what our buddy said? Ministry is not achieved. Ministry is received. And it is received by mercy. Listen, you've got to understand your ministry. Okay? Listen, if you're saved today and the veil has been removed, you are a minister of the new covenant. Okay? I want to explain something. That is non-negotiable. Got it? All right. Now then, you may not be used, but if you're not being used, there's only one reason. You're looking at the wrong mirror. Okay? Because God has given it to us by mercy. You know what mercy is, right? It's not getting what you deserve. Listen, if you do, you deserve judgment. That is the only thing that a human being deserves. And instead of destruction, God has given you a ministry. How can you lose heart? I mean, here's the option. I can either be a minister. Ooh. <laughs> Separated from God for eternity so I can hang out with the weeping and the gnashing. Eternal torment. Hmm. The thing is, <laughs> let me share with you some things about our brother Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, 17. I want you to think about this, because this, this is amazing. Because I've had people say, well, Terry, how did you know you were called? Oh, it's easy. I got an email. <laughs> God emailed me and said, you're up. <laughs> okay. How did I know what I was called? Now listen, I want you to read this because this is not what we think of. Okay. Look what the Apostle Paul says in verse 16. For if I preach the gospel. Now, Paul was pretty adamant about that, right? If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am. You know what that means, right? I have to. You know what the difference between that is? I want to. Paul doesn't say I preach the gospel because I want to. He says, I have to. Wait a minute, that doesn't, that doesn't sound spiritual. You know, I thought, you know, the Damascus Road and all the rest of it. The Damascus Road scared him to death. Don't kid yourself. He says after that little incident, I am under compulsion. I have been, you, what do you look, nuts? I already seen him once and he says, why are you persecuting me? I want to do that again. Right? So I have to. I have nothing to boast of. Why? Because I have to do this. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Look at verse 17. For if I do this, now watch. If I do this voluntarily, what's it say? I have a reward. Huh. That's weird. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. 
I tell people to this day, let's see, I don't know how many years I've been doing this, that every time I walk up here, my hands start sweating. Okay? Because it just makes me ugh, nervous. Okay? And, 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 and I, I've convinced myself that the day I walk up here and I ain't nervous, I'm sitting down. Because the day that I walk up here and I think I can do this, I have just stepped in the world's greatest fool. And I'm still nervous about it to this day. And I prefer to stay there. You know why? Because I understand what the Apostle Paul says here. I do not do this voluntarily. I don't. I've had people ask me, would you want your kids? No, I wouldn't wish this on nobody. But I tell you what, if he pushes you to it, go ahead and fight. <laughs> I've tried it a time or two. Talk about a losing proposition. Go to the letter to the Colossians, chapter 1. I want to show you this because I think there's times that we, we look at pastor. Now, look, granted, there's a bunch of them out there who think they're good at this. But if you look at the men of God that God has actually put into place that are called and sent by God, you will find that none of them are doing this voluntarily. Okay, and if a guy says, no, I'm doing this because I want to, then run away. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a... You know what that word is? Slave. Slave. Do you know what a slave is? A slave is not an employee. A slave is a tool of the master. Period. It's no different than if you are a carpenter and you have a hammer. I will use my hammer for whatever I want to, when I want to, as often as I want to. And if I want to throw it out of the back of my truck at 55 mile an hour, I'll do it. <laughs> you better not be tailgating, but anyway. <laughs> All right. That's a minister. The, minister. the slave doesn't say, uh, Master, I would like to have a week off. He doesn't get that. I remember when I first took the pulpit and they said, no, we're going to make you the full-time guy and you're it. You're done. Um, I thought, well, okay. Here's what I do for a living. I study and I pray. So on my day off, I will not. <laughs> yeah, what a dummy I was. I made it to about 11 o'clock. And then, you know what? I decided, well, you know, you'll take Mondays off. <laughs> God says, I like this one. He's so silly. I asked my wife, when does he get off? She's still waiting. It doesn't stop. Why? Because all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you say, dude, I know what the definition of a slave is. Paul says he was made a minister. Verse 25. Of this church, I was made a minister. You understand what that means? Understand that context there, brothers and sisters. You need to understand it. He didn't say, you know what? I think I want to be a minister. I think I want to be a servant of Jesus. He says, nope. 
The boss says you are one. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Acts 20, verse 24. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. You know, you can stop right there. Because most of us in this room think that our lives are dear to ourselves. Tell me you don't. Duck when you tell me. My life is important to me. Asking. Ask me. But Paul says, I do not consider my life as any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I what? Received from the Lord Jesus The ministry was received. And you know what in my life is important besides that? Nothing. Nothing. And I've listened to it. I have listened to pastors. They come up to me and say, Terry, you're going to burn yourself out. My Bible says you will run and not grow weary. One of you is lying. And if you don't believe you can run and not grow weary, then you haven't looked into the face of Jesus or you will not grow weary. Now, if you look around and see other people having fun and doing this and doing that and frolicking on vacation or whatever it is they're doing, and you pay attention to that, then guess who you're not looking at? My wife hates it when I teach on this stuff. She says, there goes our vacation. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10 says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I am not fit to be called an apostle, because I was a persecutor of the church of God. But by grace I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove in vain. I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. How did you do it, Paul? How do you put up with all of this? grace of God, looking at the face of Jesus. First Timothy, he writes a young man who's dealing with a hornet's nest in the church in Ephesus. And he says, Timothy, you understand something? The Lord put me into ministry. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent aggressor. And the Lord's grace was big enough to make me a minister. Yet I was shown mercy. The Apostle Paul is trying to get to you and I in this second, uh, second Corinthians chapter four, verse one, is that you are a ministry. We have this ministry, the ministry of the new covenant because of his mercy. How could one ever give up in light of that mercy? How could you ever grow weary of doing good? He told the Galatians. How could we quit? How could we be discouraged? You know why? You and I step into ministry and we are expecting results. And we have it in our mind. This is what the results are. And you know what every one of you do? 
The results are always great. Ask Jeremiah. Zechariah, ask him. They murdered him in the temple. Was Zechariah successful? Absolutely. Peter, history tells us, was crucified upside down. All of the disciples, the original disciples, were martyred except John. That's ministry. How could you give up? And Paul is trying to get, says, because of this ministry, because of his mercy, I have this ministry. When I have such a privilege of this calling, how could I surrender to cowardice? Because it was all by mercy anyway. It was his mercy that kept me from getting what I deserved. Why do we expect ease? Why do we expect worldly success? Why do we expect fame? Why do we expect popularity? Charles Spurgeon made a quote in a book called Lectures to His Students. It says, why do we believe we should be touted out as heroes on the shoulders of men when they carried our king out on a cross? And we think we're going to get it better? We have this ministry by the mercy of God. And it is such a privilege to be proclaiming the new covenant. And it's the greatest thing that's ever been given by mercy. And you know what is amazing about it? It is beyond any of us. You're going to speak the new covenant on behalf of God. Really? Listen, there's no place for self-esteem in this. It was all by mercy. It was sovereign, divine mercy. And that's what the Apostle Paul, how can I receive all of this from sovereign, divine mercy and boast about anything? How could I ever surrender to cowardice? We have given this ministry of reconciliation to a separated humanity by the mercy of a holy God. You're afraid you're not treated right? Are you weary of doing good? Then remember, you are a new covenant believer who have been given the highest privilege in the universe and it has been given by the mercy of God. You don't deserve any of it. Humanity, fallen humanity, doesn't even deserve its next breath before a holy God. I mean, how can you not be thankful? I mean, I am out of my mind thankful that he just saved me. Gee, many crickets. If you would have watched my life at the point... uh, My father died when I was 12. Okay, and my mom and an aunt and a lady in their church began praying for me and my brother's salvation. And if you had had a split-screen TV of my life, you'd have watched these ladies' fervent prayer daily and my life going down the toilet quickly. 
And it just, what? And you're like, if you were two years into this, you're like, this ain't working. It's just getting uglier and uglier. And the more they prayed, the worse I got. That's the point. God says at some point you're going to realize it's just me. And he did it. We do not lose heart. How can you lose heart? How can you be frustrated? Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and got that calf at a new gate look? I have no idea what you're talking about and you're silly. You know, that religion stuff is for weak people. You ever heard that one? I've heard, I've got others that I can't even repeat. Okay? Let me ask you a question. How many times did somebody share the gospel with you before the lights came on? Were you a success? I can tell you, well, the first time I was at Daytona Beach, remember when I found it was out there? Some of you guys, some of you guys don't, aren't old enough to remember that. It was the Great Awakening. And I was sitting on the beach in Daytona doing what you do at Daytona at spring break. Okay? Paganism. And these girls came up. And they said, you know what? We found what you're looking for. I didn't know I was looking for anything. Well, would you like to come back to our room and we'll show it to you? God, I love this place. (laughs) And I get back and they want to share with me Jesus. Are you out of your minds? This is Daytona Beach spring break. Jesus ain't here. I don't understand it. I mean, I want you to, I've been up to Sturgis, the bike rally, 150,000 idiots. Okay, show up. And the guy said, we're up there sharing the gospel. Is it successful? I got news for you. Unless them guys miss the corner and end up in the woods on their motorcycle, they ain't interested in Jesus. You can throw them in jail and they ain't interested in Jesus. That's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to get you to understand. Do you understand at some point in your life, God reached out of heaven and says, you're mine. You've been bought and paid for the price. I own you. How can you lose heart? How can you be discouraged? How can you be disappointed? You think about all the times that... uh, Prior to you, now you guys, some of you may have gotten it quicker than I did. I had a whole bunch of interludes with Christians, and I can't think of what a crazy bunch of people. Okay? And then God finally said, Do I have your undivided attention now? And at at that point, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You and stainless steel toilet, that's all I got. I'm up. (laughs) What do you want? Galatians 6, 9, we do not lose heart in doing good. Do not grow weary. You know, that comes right after he says, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? They had moved into works. He says, don't go weary doing good. Don't lose heart. Why? We have a privilege. New covenant Christians. And, and you know what? Do we understand that? In Ephesians Chapter 3, verse 13. Ephesians 3, 13. Therefore, now this is amazing. Therefore, I ask you not 
to lose heart at my tribulations. Paul was going through it. He had just gotten released from jail for preaching the gospel. Do not lose heart in my tribulations. Why? They're on your behalf. For they are your glory. You are manifesting the attributes of God because of my suffering. Really? Have you ever gone through trials and tribulations to say, I'm doing this for the congregation so that they will manifest the attributes of God? Welcome to ministry. Welcome to ministry. You know what? No matter what you're going through or what I'm going through or what you will go through or what I will go through, God has a purpose in all of it. Paul always understood that. And that was why Paul was probably the single most humble man I've ever seen on the planet Earth. He understood that he did not deserve anything anyway. How about you? Do we understand that we do not deserve anything anyway? Ministers get discouraged. They get depressed. And one of the things that I have seen that breaks my heart is some of them sell out. I, there's a mindset in the evangelical community today is that if I can get the people to like me, then they will like my Jesus. Well, I'm a failure on that one. <laughs> my kids don't even like me. We throw programs. Let me throw a program for teens. How about kids? We get kids involved. We'll do a program for the children. Well, if we do music... That'll work. Hey, if we do something for divorce recovery. Singles, young marrieds, those expecting children, those who want to expect children, whatever. We throw these things at it saying, well, if I can get these people to like it here, maybe they'll like my Jesus. Let me tell you something. I'm going to just ask you to look around right now and say, how's that working? 92% of children who are raised in the church in America today, when they get to college, are gone. Christ has no meaning in their life. How's come? Because the church catered to them. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And so when they get to college, what are they going to do? Gimme, gimme, gimme. And the college will. We'll give you things you never even thought of. The question is, do we trust him? Faith is what we are devoted to. Faith and our devotion is what is seen. What we put our trust in. What we will commit to. As I look at the face of Jesus, I put my faith 
in that man. I put my devotion to that man. And I understand that everything that is given unto me is by his mercy. And guess what? That is where I get my strength. And it's an it's a vast well of strength. I got a newsletter just this week on dealing with pastoral burnout. How do you have pastoral burnout if you don't deserve anything anyway? Just a question. Paul never understood pastoral burnout. Paul got over it because he knew he was called as a new covenant believer and he was called to be a new covenant preacher and he was made adequate to God. So how could he burn out? It was all by God's mercy anyway. Paul understood what right did he have to expect anything. The true ministers are called and sent by God. And because they are called and sent by God, they are humbled to that reality. Pride, boasting, self-centeredness, say among preachers. I see it weekly. Either it is a momentary sin or evidence of an uncalled man. The call and the circumstances of anyone's ministry, the call and the circumstances of your life are given to you by God's mercy. Oh, did I forget to tell you? He doesn't ask you what you think you would like. I will honestly tell you that me standing up here and sharing with you the Bible is not my choosing. But I do understand when the Apostle Paul tells me that it is by compulsion. And because of that, If he says, this is what I want you to do, period, you do not lose heart. I don't care what's going on in your life. I had another week, just like the week before. I'm starting to think, is this the norm? One of those, everything that you think you're going to do is going to take you twice as long as you thought it was going to take you. And it won't be successful anyway. You're like, you know what? All I can figure is, I'm just not praying enough. Is that what you're trying to drive me back to more prayer? What I don't know. You know, somewhere in here I got to do something. If you're going to live as a Christian, if you're going to live as the letter of Revelations calls us, overcomers, you need to gaze intently into the face of Jesus. And as you do, you will realize that it is extraordinarily clear. It's it's simple. 
you will also understand that it is transforming you and to shape you into the very nature and character of Christ. As that realization steps into your life, into your little craniums, you will realize that you are now strengthened at just the privilege of naming His name. Even being one of His own. Even maybe speaking forth the new covenant. And you will be strengthened. And once that's in place, then you will realize that it purifies you. And that's next week. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for giving me the privilege of spending time in it. Father, of being overwhelmed by it. Father, I pray for those who are here this day that they are overwhelmed by it. Father, I pray that they are encouraged and counseled by it. And Father, I pray that as you have removed the veil from so many, that they will have an unquenchable thirst to intently gaze to the face of Jesus. Father, if they do not have that thirst, may today be the day that the veil is removed and they are overwhelmed face of Jesus at its clarity its ability to transform and to be strengthened for the ministry that each of us walk in to your glory and praise Amen